don't, just grab a pillow. We'll be done in about 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah. All right. You need a pen or a pencil also tonight. Okay, so tonight we are going to re-engage with what we've been calling Lab Night, um, wanting to build in each and every believer here the confidence to be able to grab a Bible text that you may not know and apply a few certain principles and be able to deconstruct the meaning of it reconstruct how it applies to your life and be able to live the Bible. We want to be able to learn how to do the Bible. And so um, everyone in this room who is able to think with some level of rationality and reason, I don't know who that excludes, but um, should be able to apply some of these Bible study principles so that you can be able to uh, learn God's word together. Uh, are you getting a little bit familiar after, let's see, we're on month like, what is it? This is July, so month seven, this is number seven, getting kind of familiar with the principles. Remember, principle number one is we're going to pray. When you begin to study God's word, don't uh, skip the step of prayer. Ask God to be uh, gracious to you, to open your eyes, to open your heart, that you might learn. The next thing I want to encourage you to do, we need some more. The next thing is, after you pray to get ready, you're going to read the Bible text multiple times, three, four, five times, maybe even more. Just, just sit in it, and you'll notice different words begin to pop off the page to you. Different emphasis will stand out. You'll notice um, the, the generic theme or the overall theme of the text will begin to emerge. If you just spend time in God's Word, one of the most fatal mistakes we do is give, give God's Word about 30 seconds and give our mind about five minutes. You know, we sometimes trust our thoughts more than we trust God's word. So we want to read it multiple times. And then you remember all these steps afterwards, the kind of, they can be a little bit confusing, the circling, the underlying, you know, just begin to deconstruct. What I want you to do with all that tonight is press pause on that. We're actually not going to use that tonight, okay? Uh, on Sunday mornings for all of June and all of July, we are studying the book of Psalms. So I wanted to bring you to the Psalms tonight. We're going to be in Psalm 141, verses 1 through 4. And the Psalms are different because they're poetry. They're written um, in poetic language. And just like you wouldn't treat a biology textbook like you treat um, a book of poetry, they're two totally different kinds of literature, and you don't apply the same uh, techniques to learning, we're going to have to do this a little bit differently with Psalms. And Psalms... Um, require a little bit more reflection and thoughtfulness and um, really just glancing at reading and thinking about. So step number one of Psalms, is this is what we want to do. You want to grab what are in poetry called stanzas. They are individual units of thought, basically a sentence. You'll, you'll see how this works out here in just a moment. The second thing, when you, when you grab the first sentence that you find, then you're going to want to look for repetition. You guys remember a few weeks ago I mentioned how Hebrew poetry is written? Uh, usually English poetry is written, and we typically think of poetry as rhyming words. Uh, the, end, the last word in each of the lines rhymes, and that's sort of what we think of as, as poetry. Hebrew poetry is not written that way. 
Hebrew poetry is written in cadence. It's written in rhythm. And so uh, a lot of times they do repeating words. You're going to look for important words. And then you want to find the meaning of those things to begin to think about them and look into them if you need to research them. And then what you want to do is look for relationships. Uh, oftentimes the word pictures are being drawn out and there's relationships being formed between, like tonight we're going to see our prayers and incense being offered to God. Well, how do those two things connect? There's a relationship there. He's trying to teach us something. Um, and then finally, we're going to need to, at times, reference other locations in the Bible if necessary to make sense of things. Like, for instance, tonight we're going to talk about uh, incense or offering sacrifices. And you might need to go to other places in the Bible to make sense of what incense was or what offering sacrifices was. So um, that's kind of the basic idea of the Psalms. The Psalms are a little bit um, less scientific, but you can find an incredible amount of joy and great benefit by doing them because the psalm, the Psalter, is the place in the Bible where you learn to communicate to God. It's going to teach you. It's not just telling you things to believe. It's showing you a model of how to interact with God. And that's what makes psalms so important. So let's begin tonight. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the text together. Father, our God in heaven, we bow before you, and we lift up your holy name front of our eyes, in front of our minds, and Father, I pray that you would humble us, that we might approach your word as divine, that we might approach your word as having truth and guidance, and that it might literally lead us to a better life. Father, may we see what's true about you, what's true about us, and what's true about how to live from this text tonight, and I pray that you would bless our time together as a body, that uh, we would understand uh, the heart of Psalm 141, and that we would begin to know how to live this together. In Jesus we pray, amen. Okay, let's read it. You guys ready? O oh Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the, as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. Try to see if you can find the rhythm in the repeating words. Okay, see if you can find it. O oh Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O oh Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. And let me not eat of their delicacies. Let's run it back. O oh Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O oh Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, 
to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. And let me not eat of their delicacies. Okay. Let me give you just a second to see if you can find what is the first stanza, the first line, the first unit of thought. Where do you think it stops? It obviously starts with, oh Lord, but where do you think it stops? It's a pretty obvious one. Let's see what you think. Sacrifice? That, that's a little too far, Anna. Sacrifice. You had hasten to me? Keep going a little bit farther because something repeats there. What's that? When I call to you. Good. All right. We need to count on Betty. Back row Joes. <laughs> Let me show you why. Let's look at it. You're going to see this. Okay, first, ver verse number two, Anna, is actually another thought. It's going to open up another thought that we're going to dig into. And then, Pam, you're right on the first thought. But now let me ask you guys, do you see a repeating phrase in this first sentence? Whoops. Let me hear you. Call to you. Do you see that? He opens up with, oh, Lord. Oh, pardon me. I, I wanted to show you this. One of the most important things in Hebrew poetry is to find the break in the sentence. So um, Pam found it for us. The break in this sentence is, O oh Lord, I call to you, hasten to me, break, give ear to my voice when I call to you. Does everybody see that? Does it jump off the page to you now? Do you see where that sits? Okay. Now the repeating phrase is what? Call to you, right? So he starts with, O oh Lord, I call upon you. And he finishes with, when I call to you. Now, what is the thing that he's asking for when he says, God, when I call to you, what's he asking for? For him to hear? Okay, the first one is, what? Hasten to me. Now, what do you guys, you guys don't use that language much, right? Like hasten? Just in our hymns, right? <laughs> Depends on the song leader, but just in our hymns. Um, what does it mean to hasten? Attention? Like, like I, I want your focus, your attention? Um, and then, Annie, you had something? To hurry? To let, let's go? Yeah? Parents, we should start using hasten. Maybe our children will listen. <laughs> hasten! <laughs> and what are we trying to do to get them to what? Come. Okay, so the first thing he wants is what? Lord, when I call upon you, what? The second one is what? And when my voice speaks, what I want you to do, God? Listen. Do you see the repeating, the phrase? When I call, hasten. Give ear when I call. That's poetry. And it's teaching you how to pray if you'll pay very close attention. Here's how David opens his prayer. I think it's David, Psalm 141. God, come close to me. Come near to me. And he's going to elicit some temple tabernacle language here in a moment about incense and offering. And most likely he's not anywhere near the tabernacle when he's praying. But what he wants is to be raptured back to the place where he feels so close to God. So before, interesting about this, right? Before he asks God to listen to his prayer, he asks for God's presence. Oh God, when I call to you, Will you please come? And I want to know you're here. I want to feel your presence. I want you to be near to me. And when I lift up my voice, when I give you what I have to say, please give, listen or give ear to my voice. So it's almost like, if you could picture David standing saying, I'm calling out. I want you to come. 
And when my voice comes, I want you to listen. That's what he wants him to do. Everybody got that so far? First part of our prayer is, God, I want you to come near. And God, will you please listen? Okay, so what do you think the next segment is? Where would you stop? Let is the where it begins. Where would you stop it? Pretty easy. You would stop it at sacrifice? That's absolutely right, okay? So the next poetic line is this. Now, the way I have it formatted on the screen doesn't help us. If you look in your Bible, it probably is broken. Like in, in you know, to fit it on the screen, I had to do that. Okay? So where's the natural break in this line? How about that? Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands is the evening sacrifice. Where would you break that in half? Right there, right? Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Now, this one's a little bit challenging. What do you think is the repeating phrase? Now, it's not, let me give you a hint. It's not the same word, but something is repeating in the first half and the second half. Incense and sacrifice, right? Do you, do you see the repeat there? Okay, is it starting to come off the page to you a little bit? When you grab this sentence and it breaks in half, there's a repeat there, okay? Great. So he says, I want something to be like incense and another thing to be like evening sacrifice. All right, let's pause for a minute. Where's my Old Testament people? People familiar with the tabernacle and the temple. What was the incense for? It was a sweet-smelling aroma to God, right? Designed to be lit, to go up to heaven, to do what for God? To please him, right? To be pleasing to God. Okay? What was the evening sacrifice for? What, what was sacrifice in general for? What's that? For, for sin, forgiveness, reconciliation, right? Um, for there to be right standing with God, a devotion to God. Yeah, okay, so what does he want? to be like incense, to be pleasing, to, to come to the throne room of God and please God. He wants what? His prayer. God, and notice the way he asks this in a petition. Not, God, I know when I pray it's so pleasing to you. Sounds like a parable Jesus taught, right? Luke 18. God, God I know when I pray it just makes you so happy with me. It's not what he says. He says, God, would you let this prayer be like incense to me? I mean, when it reaches your nose, it pleases you, okay? And then, what does he want to be like evening sacrifice? The lifting of his hands. Now, what does that mean? What's that, Carrie? Did somebody say it back here? Worship? Yeah. The lifting of the hands was the offering to God, the worship, right? And there is something, um, I, I read one guy, I, I thought this was kind of interesting, he said, I he thought, that the psalmist was increasing his intensity in his prayer from let my prayer to let the lifting of my hands. Um, you, you know what it's like to just sit and to pray, but have you ever felt struck to like be on your knees to pray? Like, or, or like maybe clench your fists or open your hands? That, that maybe David is intensifying some of his prayer there too. Anybody, anybody else want to add to that? So his second part is God, I want you to come, the first part, I want you to come near and hear my voice. And when I speak to you, I want it to be pleasing to you. And what I offer to you, I want it to be just like a sacrifice that makes us right. 
Everybody with me? Okay. Yeah, Matt? Revelation talks about that, don't you? Okay. Uh, Marnie? Yeah. Zero in on the prayer, right? To, to almost uh, shut out everything else so that prayer becomes central. Yeah. Okay, so Dave, the psalmist here wants... God to be near, God to hear when he prays. He wants his prayer to be pleasing to him, to be satisfactory to God. Interesting thought on prayer, right? That the, the, the usage of prayer for the psalmist is that I actually want to be pleasing to God, not just get something from God, right? Like, so he actually sees prayer as a vehicle by which he can be pleasing to God, that he wants to offer to God something that makes him uh, satisfied and happy. Okay, what's the third one? starts with guard and where would you go to set guard set a guard O lord over my mouth keep watch over the door of my lips okay where's the divide what do you think set guard O lord over my mouth keep watch over my lips very good okay what's the repeating phrase guard and watch what yeah, there you go, there you go. So he wants over his mouth and over the door of his lips. That's, that's the repeating phrase there. And now the action is what he's going to ask God to do with those lips or his mouth. So here's what's interesting. So prayer is something that he's speaking to God. He wants it to be uh, uh, something that is pleasing to God. And so immediately he says, God, will you set a guard over my mouth? And God, will you keep watch? over the door of my lips what is he concerned with what's he worried about what he's going to say right he knows something about the way humans pray he knows something about so there's like a micro prayer inside of the prayer right which is like god will you please help me pray in the right way will you help me to pray in a way that blesses you yeah rick Yeah, remember, it does two things, right? <laughs> out of one side, we bless God, and out of the other side, we curse mankind, right? And, and you can't get both pure water and bitter water from the same stream, he says. Yeah, that's right. That's good. Is it interesting to you that the psalmist is saying, like, when I pray, I've got to be so cautious, so thoughtful, that he's so intimately aware with himself that he knows how probably self-involved he can be how self-centered he can be how dismissive of the glory of god he could be that he actually begs for god to protect him and to care for him and to keep watch over what he's going to say so that his prayer honors god and his prayer pleases god see 
as I spent time in this this week, I was, I, I was so convicted at the thoughtfulness and the intention of the psalmist's use of prayer in comparison with my use of prayer. Because my go-to use of prayer is, God, I need things fixed. God, I need problems resolved. God, I need uh, worry squashed. I need fears taken care of. God, I need things brought to me. And so, like, my use of prayer oftentimes revolves around, um, even, even in a noble sense, God, will you help me to be more like your son? It's very petitionary. And the psalmist here is driving us to this thought that prayer is actually just where we get intimate with God. When we speak and we respond and there's connection there. And he says, when I pray to you, I want you to be close and I want it to please you. And for it to please you, God, you have to protect me. I need your help. Okay, let's do the last one. Did I miss anybody? Okay. The last one, obviously, is verse 4, right? This one's a little bit interesting. Um, so you go to verse 4. Where would you put the break on this one? This is a tough one. No hints. Guesses? Any brave people want to guess where you would break this one? Okay, so he's going to go with evil. That's one option. What? You're going to go with iniquity. Okay. Anybody else want to cast a vote? We're, so Tim's a little cautious about that. He's going to take the diplomatic answer and say he's not sure there is one. If you had to put one, where would you put it? else want to weigh in okay this is the fun part about study is is um, I don't actually have another Bible verse that tells me where to put the line you know (laughs) you know like numbers 14 says the green line goes right here here's where I put it I put it after iniquity and let me show you why Now, now let it be there for a minute because he says do not let my heart incline to evil comma I think to busy myself with wicked deeds in the company of men is the evil that he's concerned about. Okay, do you see that? You want, what do you think, Dean? You're okay with that? Yeah. Oh, you took it out. Okay. About the evil, right? Very good. Very good. All right. So let's see if you can figure out what's the repeated phrase in there. Ooh, hold on. What? Wicked, evil, and iniquity? Okay. Do not? What do you think? He's got it. He's got it. Do not let my my heart and let me not. That's the repeat. Do you see that? Do not let my heart is the first line, the first half, and let me not is the second half. Good luck you guess, Steve. <laughs> you you got to write back to your third grade grammar teacher, like, I got one right, you know. <laughs> the only one, yeah, yeah. Uh, she could finally retire, huh? <laughs> All right, so the psalmist is asking, do not let my heart and let me not. So the th- what is he asking his heart not to do? Incline to evil. And then he says, and let me not eat their delicacies. This is where it gets a little weird. Now, I would, if, if I were given this and someone told me like, hey, part of this is actually not in the Bible, it's just a trick. 
the part I would say is not part of the Bible is the delicacy part at the end. It just kind of doesn't fit, right? You almost could um, put a period after iniquity saying, do not let my heart incline to evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in the company of men who work iniquity. It feels like there should be a period right there. And then he says, and let me not eat of their delicacies. What do you think the psalmist is getting at? Now, now I know I'm putting you on the spot because you're just getting to it, and I've had a whole week to think about it. But there is a, there is a pattern here between inclined to evil and the idea of a delicacy. That's my hint. To be inclined to do evil is something like a delicacy. What? Temptation? Selfishness? What do you think? Uh Aha, you're there. Keep coming. To enjoy it, right? There's actually, what'd you say? That's the word I was looking for, pleasure. This psalmist knows something. Go ahead, Ken. (laughs) Oh, sermon's over. Let's go, guys. (laughs) Broad Street, right? Is that the closest one? (laughs) I asked like I didn't know. Um. But Ken, Ken, you said the exact words that I thought about all week when I looked at this was, he knows something, that my heart is inclined to evil because actually in us, you, you know, no one wakes up and says, I think we'll go do some evil today. And there might be some people, they have like psychological diagnosis for that, you know, that they're, they're break from reality. But I doubt many of you in here wake up tomorrow and say, you know what, I would really like to participate in some evil today. But the reason we do is because there's a lure of some satisfaction. There's a lure of some pleasure, right? And what makes us dabble farther and farther into them is when we begin to nibble at the table of the delicacies, right? Ooh, this kind of is indulgent to my flesh. This is indulgent to my pleasure. This is indulgent to what I, and my, my flesh is enjoying this. And so um, he's saying, God, I need your help to not have my heart inclined to evil. Help me, God, not even to taste of the delicacy, meaning the temptation of the pleasure of indulging in the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Does that make sense? Do you see how serious he takes evil and sin? And he's on his knees begging the sovereign God of the world Now, the key word in this sentence is inclined. What does the word inclined mean? What, 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 help me make sense of that phrase. Do not um, let my heart incline to evil. What do you think inclined means? To lean towards? What's that? To slide, to sort of like, it, it literally comes from the idea of being stretched. That's what the word means, to be stretched. So, so you like lean to, go ahead, Ken. birth. That's right. We sometimes feel safe if we just like indulge in our mind, right? Like that's a safe place. It's not hurting anybody. It's just there. It's incredibly dangerous. Yeah. So that's why he's even begging for his heart. And what's interesting is he goes from God, I don't want just what I say to be offensive to you. I want to please you. 
to the next verse in verse 4, would you even help my heart to not even lean to respond to? And there's something important about this. See, the psalmist knows something um, about humanity. Let, let's, let's draw this to a little bit of a conclusion here. Number one, we could know this. When we pray, add this, let, me, let me just add this to your prayer life. God, would you come near? Make your presence known. In this place, give me your comfort and courage, your strength. I want to know you here near to me. And will you please listen? Boy, it's pretty respectful, isn't it, of God's time, his attention, his holiness. Isn't it interesting that we get frustrated with our kids when they interrupt us? <laughs> we try to teach them better manners, right? And yet, there's this level of respect that the psalmist has for God when he says, would you mind, would you please listen? I know your place and I know mine. Please listen to me. The second thing with prayer is, God, what I offer to you, I want it to please you. I want my prayers to be like incense that float to your nose and you say, this is good. I want the lifting of my hands, the worship, the offering of myself, I want that to be like when you delight in a sacrifice making us right again. That's what I want. prayer might be for this as well. God, would you protect me from words that are unpleasant to you? It's trembling that Jesus talks about the fact that we will answer for the words that we speak. That we will answer for that. That we sometimes even one step farther can, it's not just our brain, but we are trivial with our words. That we think it just doesn't matter. Like I can, you know, say something and oh, I didn't mean it. <laughs> you know, and hopefully they just let it go by and, and nothing go we can actually ask God to protect us that, from words that are unpleasant, that are not full of grace, that are not um, that which builds people up and uh, brings honor to God. But here's what he gets to in the depths of this psalm. That my need is actually greater than just a gatekeeper of my words. That our need before God is not just be a filter by which only the right words come out and the bad words stay inside. You see, what the psalmist is saying is God doesn't just want us to know how to have the right amount of self-control that only certain words come out that are good, but all the bad ones stay in and we just kind of harbor those things. What he actually says is we need a heart that is inclined, that leans towards, that wants to walk towards the will and the way of God. And I think what the psalmist is driving us home to is this one basic idea um, and we hear this concept come up all the time is the idea of I want to grow in Christ, I want to become more like Christ. Christians have this um, progressive sanctification is what the word is or the phrase is where we want to become more like Jesus. And here's the one simple takeaway from this psalm that I think is important for you. God, I actually need your help. Now Christian, tonight, do you ever stand before God and feel like when you pray, that you owe him more of a Christ-likeness than you are? And do you ever shrink back from him in shame that you're not as Christ-like as you should be? And in the gap there, in that space there, have you ever considered actually asking him for the help to do that? That as a father, he's not like, you're not as Christ-like as I want, I'm so angry at you, but actually as a father, he's begging you to let him help you, to let him help you. And so what the psalmist is showing us is that in our prayer, to God, to have words that please Him, prayers that please Him, to have to be a person that can be in His presence, 
and have him listen to us. We actually need his help to be that kind of person. And so for us to do that, practically, you've got to do number one, you've got to acknowledge your heart problem. Jesus said in Mark 7, it's not that which is outside of you that defiles you, but that which is inside of you, out of the heart comes all of the evil things that we think and do and say. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the human heart is sick. It's diseased. It has a problem. And you won't go any step farther if you think religion is to help you go from being good to being religious, not from being dead to alive or bad to right. Does that make sense? Like, we've got to acknowledge that. The second thing we've got to do is let God's word, I'll tell you, diagnose our problem, our heart problem, and lead us in discovering the solution. One place I'll tell you to look to is 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, where John tells us, do not love the world, the things of the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Don't delight in those delicacies. But he says this, if anyone does love the world, the love of God is not in him. There's your diagnosis. That when I love the world more than I love God, the problem is I have not yet received from God how much he actually does love me. That I've got to actually receive that. I've got to understand it. I've got to make sense of that. And then we've got to do our part in that process to receive that solution. The ultimate expression of God's love was Romans 5, 8. It says, while we were still sinners, while we still had the heart that inclined to evil, words that were not pleasing to God, prayers that were self-involved, not God-honoring, while we were that kind of people, Jesus Christ came. He says, God demonstrated his love for us in saving us. And I just love the way Jeremiah 31 says, I want to read it to you, verse 3. In his prophecy, when God is talking about the time he will turn mourning into joy, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. When we begin to understand that, we'll, I think we understand that God is a faithful, loving, compassionate God who has demonstrated the greatness of his love in Jesus Christ, saving us from our sin and drawing us back to him. We might begin to pray like Psalm 141 with great amounts of humility, with great amounts of honor, reverence for God and in seeking his presence in our life. I want to encourage you to pray that way and find somebody this week that you can encourage with those words. Pray with somebody this way um, and see if you can help. And if there's someone here tonight who needs help, we always make that invitation available. Barry's going to lead us in a song and you can come. Let's stand and sing.